Hello everyone. Welcome to the chat show where we talk about empathy, employment and innovation every Wednesday at 2 Eastern uh, with with the experts from the staffing industry, from the disability community and today's guest is very special. Um today everybody is stressed out about their job productivity as well as family well-being. the mental stress has become our second nature luckily for us today's guest is passionate about the mental health issues in the modern workplace and will be sharing her views on uh, mental health uh, at, at workplace and few other amazing interesting topics she is uh, she is an executive director uh, at harvard business school she uh, and her team are supporting faculty at harvard business school with case case writing um one of the common thing which i i proudly say that uh, uh you know i have been working with rangam for 25 years and she is with harvard business school for 25 years and also one another common thing is we share the same birth month so yes. uh, <laughs> so with that welcome welcome karen um welcome to the to the show nisha so so great to be here thank you for having me and tiffany thank you for being with us uh, also and uh, and communicating the the message so yes 25 25 years i guess it's a common anniversary i think 25 more years at hbs would be great so 25 absolutely great great to be here and i guess before we get started i have something for you since it is today actually your actual birthday So have a real candle we'll show have to blow oh. up and I hope that everybody joins around the world to wish you a very happy birthday. So nice of you. Thank you. It's the pandemic. Thank so you happy so much. birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're is, very welcome. Amazing. That's so sweet of you. And I'm really appreciate that surprise. That's my fourth candle of the day. So I have not celebrated my uh, birthday. Well, you, you have not to... so you are the first one so thank uh, you. Many more to come, and the one you you'll blow out will be the really special one. So uh, thank so, you so much. Thank, thank you for you. having me, Nish. It's a pleasure. Same here. So, can see if you can share. You know, if I try to give the background to the viewers about you and your amazing work at at Harvard Business School, it will, I won't be able to do the justice. So, please share a little bit about you and your work uh, with our viewers. Uh sure so I uh, support HBS faculty writing cases um case studies are stories about companies and decision makers around the world it's a very wonderful job because we get to learn a lot about very different uh, situations you get to talk to people you're not a consultant so you're really just a partner trying to discover uh, what they're wrestling with um and it's the kind of job that takes you around the world with a very wonderful uh, people such as the HBS uh, faculty so it's a great job um in it you learn a lot um about um you, you know many topics um about many things which makes it you know nice to see patterns and then a few years ago we're going around the world and uh, noticing you know after 2008 a real um concentration on cost cutting and um then the puzzle was why are we seeing so much interest in cost cutting when you know there seems to be so much companies could be doing to promote more inclusive work environments and also um promote mental health at work um to reduce you know presenteeism or absenteeism and so became personally very interested in that uh, in that space um so 
Yeah, no, a- this is this is great, and and, and that that uh, you know around the world is the the, the key here. I'm I'm pretty sure your your vast experience working with and understanding and writing on the businesses from all over the world. Uh, but more importantly, your journey, your personal journey, starting from France to Germany to United States for last 25 years. Uh, with that experience, uh, I have heard uh, you saying that you never really fit in because you are half French and half German growing up uh, all over the world uh, and now working in United States. So does not fitting in help you in any way to understand the diverse culture around the world uh, more obviously or objectively? So, so I, I think so. And in a way, you know, one of the beautiful things is that I think we are becoming more multicultural and more mixed. And I think this will enable us to sort of realize that there is no one way to do things, that norms and values may uh, differ around the world and that if you seek to understand why people are behaving a certain way, um, then you can seek, you know, commonalities with them rather than than differences. So, yes, yeah, so I'm uh, half French, half German, I was born in Mexico. And, um, you know, when I was in Germany, I was too French. When I was in France, I was too German. And, um, and so I got to appreciate, um, you know, people who are trying to fit in, people whose uh, background may be different from, from ours. And I think this has brought um, some interest in the space of, uh, of diversity and, and inclusion. And I think, you know, people like you and most of the people that I've met on this journey um, have a personal reason for, for engaging in this, uh, in this work. Um, it's also very nice to be mixed because you get to have different, uh, be exposed to very different thoughts and perspectives, which is really what I think we're, we're all after in this conversation. And how, is, how would you relate empathy to that? like your that your experience and background uh truly global background so i personally think it's very difficult to put myself in anyone else's shoes because everybody is so absolutely unique but i think i derive my empathy from understanding that maybe being in someone else's shoes might feel very different from my own shoes and so that i should give this person a chance to explain um, how they are or how they're behaving and also understand that collectively their lived experience might be shaping their behavior. Um. Yeah, and by the way, thank you for taking uh, and wearing my, my our empathy t-shirt. Of course. With pride, with pride. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, I learned a new word for this t-shirt, empathy t-shirt. And that's uniform. You you post yesterday something on LinkedIn that I'm ready with the uniform. I love it. I'm going yes. to start calling this my uniform. I'm, and this is yes. really <laughs> you've built an empathy and equity army, Nish. There we go. Yeah. So that yeah. is the uniform. So we thank you for that uh, uh, new um, uh, new word in our our uh, our marketing uh, dictionary. So we will <laughs> be talking. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, but it's a great. I think it's a great, a great message because if you think of equity, you really cannot have equity is not equality. Equity is very different, and you cannot have it without a real empathy, or at least start to begin the understanding of what the person uh, that you're trying to help might have been uh, might have been experiencing. So, so I, I love it. Yeah, those are great. So, I think why don't you share some of your thoughts on equity and and you 
your background uh, and knowledge on neurodiversity. I know you are passionate about neurodiversity. So how neurodiversity at workplace is, is connected to empathy? Some of your thoughts and, and equity. If you can share that, yeah. that would be great. Um, so in order for, um, you know, to behave in a way that drives equity, you need to go beyond the one size fits all and, you know, recruit differently, onboard differently. And that is really difficult. And actually, I was listening to one of my colleagues this morning, Ranjay Gudati, who is an expert on leadership and resilience. And, uh, you know, he pointed out that companies fail because of competency traps and we all fall into them, which is what is it that we do well? So mm -hmm. we are from certain set of schools, asking a certain set of questions, looking for a certain set of criteria, and then we onboard everybody and we expect it to work. The problem with competency traps is that, you know, they're usually built on habits. Um, you tend to sort of play defense. So you're going to um, be focused on minimizing risks rather than really driving innovation. And mm. very strong bias for habits, which is what works for us, works for us. And as humans, we do the same. So when you think of companies, you know, if you really want to drive equity, you have to start looking at these com competency traps that you set up for yourself. Um, and think about how do you recruit. So this is working with partners like you who can actually educate the company on how they will have to change, you know, educate managers who will then drive the culture that will then make it possible for neurodiverse individuals to, to integrate. Um, and I think this relates to empathy because if you do it in one space of the company, then you develop these muscles of saying, okay, why have we always done things a certain way? There are advantages to doing things a certain way, but there are also disadvantages and costs. Mm -hmm. Advantages to doing things a certain way at a certain point in time, but then the world changes and we keep on doing things a certain way. I think one of the great things of the pandemic for all its absolute, absolute horror is that for many you know, processes, it's been the end of the world as we know it. And kinds of conversation that you're driving with people in the staffing industry to rethink work I think is a great opportunity and maybe one of the silver linings out of this and uh, this pandemic. I 100% uh, uh, agree with you. And we have seen that shift uh, and rapid shift in mindset and also uh, um, uh, thought, uh, you know, um, the leadership is taking really, in it, taking the initiatives and really acting on it. We have experienced that during this pandemic, during this period. Yes. So talking about right hires and hiring right people, um, you know, we, we hear this a lot when we are working with companies that what is in for me when we go out and talk about, um, you know, implementing uh, these programs to promote diversity at work, um, how can companies sustain their neurodiversity program and make business case out of, out of them versus hiring only handful of people on the spectrum? Because as you know, uh, and this is a very common question when hiring managers will say, okay, what if I fail? And mm -hmm. if I hire somebody on the spectrum, what if I don't meet my SLA uh, or my, my KPIs? What are the consequences? And this is a real practical challenge we are facing. So what are your thoughts? How do you, how do you manage this? Absolutely. 
So I think in terms of risk-taking, you know, I was thinking back on like SAP and Microsoft. I mean, certainly not small companies. They were, you know, they've been doing this for nearly, I mean, you know, nearly a decade, or I guess SAP was 2013. So, you know, well, yeah. so we have a track record. We have a track record of big companies doing it. You could argue that big companies have more cushion to absorb, uh, you know, additional uh, accommodations. Um, so for small businesses, um, I think, you know, an education around what it's, what it takes, but also the promises. So I think your question is driving a little bit too much to risk in my mind. Whereas when I think of all the opportunities that companies aren't taking. So if you think of the skills of, that some neurodiverse uh, individuals exhibit, especially those who may be uh, on the spectrum, uh, they're extremely valuable today. So people who are able to focus and uh, to get things done in this world where there's so much distraction, turnover rates are much lower um, among uh, individuals who are diagnosed on uh, on the spectrum. Um, their ability to, you know, sort of work on highly technical tasks, which are also much more important these days. So, I think if we focus too much on the risk and mitigating them, you really miss the uh, opportunity of hiring. Uh, teams and augmenting your teams with individuals that bring a very different perspective. And then maybe having somebody who has a different perspective and a different approach to work could also make the rest of the team better. Yeah. If there is a culture that enables people to, and to make the most out of differences. Yeah, and that is so true that risk and that risk taking capabilities or abilities uh, with individual or sometimes with hiring managers and hiring teams is so important because that not having that awareness is causing that that sometimes misunderstanding and uh, uh, you know so that awareness is very very important so talking about the awareness uh, with in the society in the corporate world um, as a leader from the from the higher education sector do you think that uh, for long term uh, positive changes to happen we as a society need to incorporate equity and diversity related education and awareness in our education system and how how do you see that uh, evolving so i can speak you know i think most for the for the us in that department i mean what i see in schools is that there has been a real push to educating children uh, about differences, about how you manage, how you treat people like persons. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody wants to be treated as, a, as an individual. The, the connection that I see is missing is, you know, kids get trained in schools, uh, but then they get in, out into the workforce, and then somehow we forget what we have learned in schools about not bullying those who may be different, or we do not set up the mechanisms to sort of protect that. So I think the, the early education system works. I think somewhere in the transition to the workplace, uh, mm. gets uh, gets lost. Um, I was thinking back to your earlier question or an earlier part of our conversation around just awareness of difference. I think we're also in this conversation assuming a little bit too much that the neurodiverse are different as if we weren't. Mm. So I have a particular behavior at work. I have a particular way that people work with me that makes it easier. And I think when you work with neurodiverse, they come and say, when you do this, this happens to me educates me to do the same with people who are working with me. And so you can also drive awareness one person at a time. And if, you know, people were better at saying, you know, this is how I work better, uh, and managers were better at understanding that none of us are 
one, are uniform, I think you can build a better better workplace. And this relates also, I think, to to mental wellness. Well, that, that, that's early, we have the education early in school, and I think we could we could learn from from the schools. In some ways, I think they are they are ahead of us. Yes. Uh, so one of the things which you know, as you know, we have uh, we have um, partnered with uh, 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 Dr. Fong at Stanford University, and one of the recent initiatives uh, I have learned from Dr. Fong that. You know there are some programs um, and classes they are offering to MBA students and business, so they are interested because mm -hmm. I think that that nurturing and that putting those seeds when we are in uh, getting into this higher education system, I think that might also help because leaders they are interested in learning about this. So if we start early, that's just just thought. Any thoughts on that? How that can help future leaders? I think it's phenomenal, but you know, as I mean, you and I attended the the seminar on neurodiversity at uh, at Stanford, and they they've done awesome job, and also with their job banks and their candidate yeah. pool. So I think a real concerted effort is uh, is great, and every little bit starts. I mean, now you're seeing you know in higher ed uh, classes around uh, anti racism and understanding racism, and I think it would be uh, good to have you know a module also on understanding neurodiversity and how you drive that way. So. It's coming, but it's an excellent, excellent idea. To anybody yeah. in listening out there, I think it's a, it's a great idea to build that bridge, and then yeah. there you can build organizations that actually make things uh, make things possible. Right, and that that organization is that's where those customized uh, processes and best practices get implemented, as you earlier mentioned, SAP and and um, uh, you know uh, JP Morgan Chase some of those leaders they have this amazing pilot program mm -hmm. and very successful and a lot of learning how do we adopt that and customize those uh, best practices at workplace combination of that because what I believe that you know every one of us is connected to someone on the spectrum or someone with disability so we all have good intentions uh, all good intentions to help them with the meaningful job it's just a lot of times we don't know where to start and how to implement those. So if we educate those leaders, future leaders, and um, implement those best practices at work, I think that that can be win-win for everyone. Yeah, and there's a war on talent, and it's an untapped uh, talent. Yes. Many are overqualified for for the jobs that uh, that they have. I mean, the other big hope I think is just the new generation. You know, you and I have also mm -hmm. talked about how much you know we're big fans of millennials, uh, big fans of you know very young adults who do understand that humans uh, are different and have a very different uh, point, you know, view of the world than my generation certainly did. Mm -hmm. So we celebrated our 25 years, you know, Nishwar, the people half of our age can make double the difference that you and I can. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so talking about, you know, you know, we always, um, you know, that so far, as you know, in this ecosystem, people on the spectrum and people with disability, uh, we always talk about it. Um, it's more about what people with autism can do for companies uh, than about what companies can do for people uh, on the spectrum. What are your thoughts? Um. So I would say that I wouldn't distinguish there between uh, necessarily, um, you know, individuals who are on the spectrum versus somebody who may be suffering from severe ADHD or depression. 
Um, so, you know, there's a form of accommodation. The first step is communication, I think, is understanding. And that probably also starts in recruiting, which is, can you build a rapport with the person that you're interviewing that makes it possible for the person to communicate with you what will enable them to succeed in the job? So I think a lot of recruiting is very focused on credentials. And then, you know, even interviews Mm -hmm. very focused on interpersonal skills when a lot of jobs actually are not depending on interpersonal skills. So the whole structure puts a category of individuals or persons who might have anxiety in situations where it's extremely difficult for them just to communicate about who they are behind the, the credentials that they might bring. Mm -hmm. So companies and managers maybe can take a little bit more reflection or risk around how they use the discovery process, let's not call it interviewing process, even though that's what it's called now, the discovery process. So the way I tend to do it when I interview is that I'm very open about my own disposition. And mm -hmm. once you have somebody sort of share, the person may be more willing to come back and say, well, actually, this is how, you know, these are my tendencies. I may be a little bit obsessive. And then you can get, you can organize yourself. So I think companies can start, uh, can start there. And then the rest is a lot of what we've already, already talked about in terms of creating teams, putting teams together in a good, uh, good way, um, and really educating people to not want diversity just for the brochure version of diversity, but for the difference in thoughts. Mm -hmm. When you have different thoughts and perspectives is that things take a little bit longer. And as you said, we're all in a business imperative. Um, so really harnessing the power of, of difference to make it worth the, the time and investment. Um, and I think companies are, I think companies are getting there and companies understand that through the friction of difference, you can really get innovation and everything's yeah. be reinvented now. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I would, I would like to change gears a little bit and touch um, the, the, we touched that topic a little bit. Uh, but um, uh, what would you advise? This is about the mental uh, wellness during this time. It's, it's, it has been challenging for everyone. Uh, so, what would be your, uh, you know, your advice to business leaders uh, for managing mental wellness of themselves? of course first and then their their employees and their team any short please share your thoughts we would love yeah. to learn from you so i think it's extremely extremely different difficult um you know the the one positive side of the pandemic which has really come with an attendant mental uh, health disorder pandemic when you see you know all of the all of the uh sort of in things that we track are really in the, in the red. So this, you know, uh, depression has tripled, uh, suicidal ideation overdose are over 30%. One of the big challenges in the past to talking about mental health as work was stigma. And it was a lack of education. I think what COVID has done is really stripped the veil of stigma. And now we realize that with so many of, with half of us reporting that our mental health has decreased since the beginning of COVID, I think companies and individuals are in a place of actually talking about it. And once you start to talk about it, it's the beginning of a potential intervention. It's the beginning of changing one's behavior. It's the beginning of changing how teams work. It's the beginning of changing how incentive systems may work. It's the beginning of also changing what kind of support you provide to employees. Um, so a couple of things, you know, if you're a leader, first, you know, do take care of yourself. Uh, and I know it's easy and we're all hearing it and it's really frustrating to hear it because we all know that it's very, very challenging. 
reflect on how you behave towards these issues and some of it is shaped by, by the past. Um, in terms of a, also, uh, you know, go ask HR, what are the, uh, how are the plans? Often companies do not provide enough uh, support for uh, people who might needing therapy, so it's much longer than usually they think. Usually, uh, it's not just about providing another app; it's really about encouraging people to take the time time to heal. And then I think all of us as citizens also can lobby our elected officials. So for the first time in history, we have an incoming president who, you know, really uh, um, an absolute role model in terms of how you recover from loss and grief, and he has declared that mental health is health. And I think the new administration has the chance to build, make mental health as a foundation for recovery. So lobby your elected officials uh, and make sure that the incoming administration, uh, you know, keeps its promises to reduce stigma and lower barriers to access, especially for those of us uh, who have suffered the most in this, uh, in this pandemic, uh, which are, you know, essential workers and, uh, and uh, folks in the marginalized communities. Um, so we can all do all do our part. Yeah, no, that is that is so amazing. I um, I was just thinking on that line that how that is needed more than ever. Um, also talking about the um, the global with your global experience and the different culture. Um, how mental uh, mental health and mental well uh, wellness. Uh, in the workplaces managed in, with, with different cultures? Have you seen or what are your observations with different cultures? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a super important uh, question because I think, especially with interventions, people tend to think if you're in global companies that, you know, you can sort of have a blanket, uh, blanket policy. So pathologies diverge by countries. You know, there are some mental illnesses in Japan that don't exist here. And we have some things in the DSM that don't exist in different parts of the world. Uh, stigma and discussability is very different. In the US, in some ways, we're ahead uh, versus in still some parts of, uh, of Asia. There's some countries around the world where, uh, you know, if you exhibit uh, mental health disorders, then, you know, your life might be, might be at risk. So there are very many differences in terms of stigma pathologies. And then the healthcare systems are also very different. So for example, in Europe where people might be able to get more uh, accommodational support to the public health system in the US companies will have to step in the gap a little bit more in order to make sure that people are, are protected. Um, so very different uh, from very different parts of, uh, of the world, which is also great because you get to learn from different, uh, different approaches. Yeah, and how do we adopt some of those approaches? And uh, you know, so it is more like a toolkit. If we, if there is a, if it's a globe for global company, uh, um, so how how do they manage some of the global companies uh, you have seen? How do they manage this different? Maybe they have different policies, or how do they manage mm -hmm. this? Yeah, so I think you know what comes centrally is is the culture. So what's going to drive what people do locally? is the messages that the corporation is, is sending centrally, and it is the nature of the incentives that it provides to the local subsidiaries in terms of, you know, how, what is it tracking? So it might be tracking turnover, it might be tracking mental health leaves. So I think the center can send a strong message about what are the dimensions that we're maximizing. Let's say we're, you know, dedicated to maximizing the well-being of our, of our people. You take a company like Johnson & Johnson, where it's actually an explicit mission, um, and then you let the subsidiaries deal locally as they would with product market uh, market issues. 
Interesting, interesting. I wish there was more time for us to continue this conversation. Well, we'll ha uh, you'll have another birthday, Nish. We'll <laughs> gather again in a, in a year. There so. we go. That's the plan. That's the plan. But before we close uh, today's uh, uh, session, um, please share um, any story. Tell us a brief story that you might have come across that you think is relevant to this conversation? Anything you can think of? Ooh, that's difficult. Any story? Um, not really, Nish. I'm not. A, I'm a storyteller at work. <laughs> How um, about any? I don't case? know. Maybe just a just a difference. What you know? A difference that a person a person makes. Um, How about some case? I I know in earlier conversation you mentioned something about the massage place. Maybe that very unique. Uh, situation combination of automation and human touch and how do we keep that balance maybe it's that with that yeah yeah so so that, that story is just about you know how uh, the the tension to managing humans um so uh, i was talking to somebody who is uh, running a service operation so it's facials and he said uh, he had gone through the 2006 uh depression and uh he had to you know let go of 50 out of his 55 staff or whatever. And he said it was such a heartache. It nearly killed him. And he decided that he would never do that uh, do that again. And so he's rebuilding his business in a completely different way, which is he's taking out a lot of the back office and automating this and leaving this few staff that he has to interact with clients in a very different level. So at a deeper level, not just a transactional level. And so this was his solution to this, the upheaval. Um, so back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, we have lots of stories to tell about very random things, uh, things at work. But I think my my one human story is that um, everyone's actions make a huge, huge difference. And so, you know, somebody connected me to you and I've it's changed the way that I see the world. And so, um, you know, if you can do one thing today, reach out to a couple of people that you think might be having a hard time in this time and uh, and help them and and remind them that we'll we'll get through this. and. Uh, and there's some things that are going to get uh, get better. So, so thank you. Sorry, Nish, I'm sorry. No, I disappointed this is, this you. Is, no, this is more. This is so powerful, and I take. I will take your advice on this. This is so, uh, so humanly, right? This is so powerful that if we all do that, you know, one or two connections, one or two, uh, you know, pick up the phone and ask somebody, "How are you doing?" I think that is what is really needed. So thank you for sharing uh, and and that that advice. Um, I really appreciate it. I know all our viewers are appreciating all your advice and 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 your your leadership and your amazing work uh, in this space. So we thank you for your time. Um, thank you so much. Wishing wishing you your family happy holidays. Stay safe uh, and healthy, and wishing you all the best. Yes, thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you so much for your your work for us and uh, and everything. And bye, everybody. Take care of yourselves and others. Ciao, ciao. Thank you, thank you, everyone. Thank you for your time. Take care. Ooh, happy birthday! Hey, <laughs> thank you, thank you, awesome. thank you, thank you. Bye, bye.